After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Cricket Conversations is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter. Yay. Hey, what if hiring could be made easier? What if it could, John? More streamlined. What if it is, John? Less time consuming. What if it would be? So even when you're busy, would that it work? You could still be smart about the way you hire. Yep. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click so you job can boards. rest easy. Rest easy. Knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Correct people. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job people. within minutes of posting. The best So you people. receive the best possible matches. Not people that are working with Russian colluders. There's no bots. No uh, wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Not Carter Page. And the, no Carter Page either. Well, he might need to use that. Uh, and the easy-to-use ZipRecruiter dashboard lets you manage your hiring process. From Hello, start Carter. To I, am, I am professor here to talk to you about what I can do to help connect and make sure that you are not criminal. Hello, Carter Page. You seem very intelligent, not like person who seems to have inability to put on pants. <laughs> do, do you know Ivanka? ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Find out today. Why it's been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, Crooked Conversation listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Crooked Convos. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Crooked Convos. ZipRecruiter.com slash Crooked Convos. I'm Dan Pfeiffer, co-host of Pod Save America, and you're listening to Crooked Conversations. On today's episode, I talked to Mark Leibovich from the New York Times about the politicization of the NFL. Mark has done a lot of reporting on the NFL players, owners, and the league, and is working on a book that's going to come out next fall about the NFL. The beauty of football and the beauty of sports is that you can sort of look to it as a respite from a lot of the noise that um, infects so much of the rest of our public life. People do see the NFL as a league in many ways as a somewhat corrupt organization, but an elite brand uh, presiding over a game that people still absolutely love. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Crooked Conversations. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. I'm joined today by Mark Leibovich, the chief national correspondent for The New York Times Magazine. He is working on a book about the NFL, which will include a lot about the current political environment and the groundswell behind kneeling for the national anthem and everything else that's happening in, in the NFL these days. Mark, what's happening? I'm good. Um, what's happening? I'm, I'm working on, as you mentioned, I'm working on this book and I'm also working on a magazine story concurrently um, sort of on the political football of this moment. Um, oh, nice pun. You know, I just sort of thought of it and you know what the problem is? Some like really, really thinking they're clever editor or headline writer will stick that like on like a big headline and like this is where it's all going to emanate from. They're going to think they're all clever. Hopefully they'll do better. But yeah, I mean, it's quite a season and, and you know, I've been trying to report this book during, um, you know, sort of a respite from my real job covering politics. But um, my worlds have sort of collided um, in a good way, I think, uh, over the last few months and uh, politics is inescapable and, you know, thanks to Donald Trump, football has become even more inescapable. So I'm sort of trying to, um, you know, what's the word synergize the, the competing reality shows of American politics and, uh, the national football league. 
How related is your move to football to your friend Reince Peebus uh, moving off the national stage? Well, you know, once he moved off the national stage, there was really no reason for me to continue because, you know, I, I thought there was no one more important to chronicle or catalog than Reince. No, um, not related whatsoever at all. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Reince is, a, Reince is a football fan. I don't know, you know, if that's relevant to anyone. Uh, he's also out of work, but I'm sure that won't won't stay that way for long. Yeah. For the new listeners, they should know that Mark once had a running series in the New York Times Magazine called Tuesdays with Reince that would have won a Pulitzer had Reince previously been allowed to continue participating in your in-state interviews. Can I tell you something? Actually, I'm not sure um, I've ever told you this, and I will now probably say something I shouldn't say, but I'll say it on the air. Um, so I did a few of those Tuesdays with Reince things, and they had a real cult following, sort of like a Tuesdays with, with Maury kind of thing. Um, so it was, you know, it was kind of, it, it was like a kind of a weekly check-in with this guy in a completely thankless position who's like this ultimate, you know, party hack his entire life, and all of a sudden he's saddled with Donald Trump. And um, so I'd write these things, and, and Dan Pfeiffer himself was one of the great supporters and advocates of the column. And he tweeted about it once saying something, I think he said something to the effect of, you know, I don't know if Reince gets the joke, but this is like the funniest thing like I read every week. And of course, Reince saw the tweet and he later told me that, you know, Pfeiffer was the one that turned me on to the fact that maybe this wasn't the best thing for me to be doing. <laughs> so I can, you know, thank you for that now. Um, yeah, my apologies to you in America. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, All right, let's switch to football. Yeah, Enough sure. about Reince. Sure. All right. So you're doing this book. You're doing research into uh, what, how the NFL works. How, what do people not get about the NFL? Right. What, like, I look at it and there's like, there's sort of three groups of people. There's the players who we all know. Mm -hmm. There's the league executives, right? Like right. Roger Goodell, most famously. Right. And then there are the owners. How, how does that group interact to sort of lead to the NFL we have today? That, that, that's a great question. I mean, basically it, it, they, they interact very, very, very uh, suspiciously. And one thing, you know, you hear over and over again around this national anthem stuff is that, you know, the NFL is an entity. I mean, Trump will tweet all the time about the NFL has no leadership. The NFL has no courage, blah, blah, blah. I mean, the fact is, I mean, they're as splintered as anyone else. I mean, the players are certainly not unified on this issue. The owners are certainly not unified. And the league office itself is not unified. And then you have the sponsors who – you know, all are sort of reading this differently. And you have the fans who are as divided as the rest of, them, of America is. And this almost makes the larger point for me, which is that, I mean, one of the, one of the reasons I wanted to do this book uh, is because, you know, I like football. But, but I also thought that for as much, you know, as, for as ubiquitous as football is, I wanted to sort of spend three years and do as kind of a, I wouldn't say a deep dive because, you know, it's not like, I'm, you know, delving into like concussion records and stuff here, but I wanted to sort of do a this town treatment for the NFL. This town is the book I, I wrote on Washington basically over um, a three or four year period during uh, Barack Obama's first term, as as Dan knows, and I hopefully do. a few listeners know. Um, but I also think that that like Washington and like political writing, football and sports writing is very, very much given to cliches, to assumptions, um, to hackery. And I wanted to sort of as an outsider come in 
and get to know some of these owners, get to know some of these players, get to know some of these fans, get to know some of these set-piece institutions like the NFL Draft and the NFL Draft Combine and the Super Bowl um, and the NFL Hall of Fame inductions and things like that that have become, um, you know, these these festivals of America. And, and, you know, the truth of the matter is, I mean, football is the great spectacle of American life. I mean, it is just a runaway success as far as ratings go and money goes and popularity goes. And... Um, you know, but like American politics, it's, it's appeal is finite and it's based a lot on division and it's based a lot on friction. And you sort of wonder if the business model, uh, is, is not played out. And, and, you know, then you have the whole added, you know, effect of the existential questions about concussions and whether this sport and this whole business model is predicated on people, um, mangling their brains, which is, um, you know, you would think not the best approach. You know, even before Trump decided to ruin all of our Sundays uh, by injecting himself into football, you know, it was only a few years ago where the NFL was at the sort of seen as this untouchable entity, right? Football was by far had become the American pastime, surpassing baseball, still ahead of basketball. And in the last, you know, maybe three, four years now, you know, it's got its place in American life has seen more precarious, more divisive, starting with the Ray Rice allegations, domestic violence, opening up all kinds of questions about how the, the league handles that. And then, as you mentioned, concussions, you know, do you see is the is the NFL in danger? And how is how are the various entities, the league and the owners respond? Do they get the do they see this danger? Are they reacting to it? Yeah, I think they are. I mean, I don't think they have a clue on how to deal with it. But I mean, I think a lot of the, the debate you would get, you know, among, you know, the, the leaders of the league and certainly a lot of the owners is how much danger they are really in. I mean, first of all, a lot of these owners who own the league, um, they not only own the teams, they own the league. And Roger Goodell is, you know, he's a very powerful sports commissioner, but he also is the sort of feeble owner of a, or, or, you know, you know, uh, administrator of a trade association of 32, he has 32 bosses. um, And, you know, he can also suspend them. And it's, it's a really weird setup. But the fact is, I mean, there would be disagreement on how much trouble this league really is in. I mean, should you look at the television ratings uh, drop off from last year as sort of a one-off about the, um, you know, over the election or, or some other reason? Do you look at the the ratings drop off, some of the empty seats in some of the stadiums as something that just Trump is stirring up? Is this really becoming another casualty of the culture war, or is this just a fact that you know there have been a lot of really shitty games on TV? Um, you know, the San Francisco 49ers um, are a bad team, and you know they're not drawing well, and and so forth. Are they not drawing well because people are still pissed off about a bunch of kneelers? I don't think so. I think you know at the end of the day, people do love football. I mean, I think the question is the sort of seed corn of this sport, which is uh, you know participation levels. Um, shrinking, you know, among Pop Warner players, high school players, whether that is going to injure the sport long term. And and also, I mean, the thing they're really afraid of is some kind of regulatory or legal action against them that can really, really kill the golden goose. Um, Because, you know, they enjoy a lot of advantages right now. And they're pretty vulnerable in Washington, especially now that it has become such a political, um, not going to say political football again, but a political (laughs) issue. Um, but I mean, I think another sort of interesting side issue of this is how the culture wars that, that we sort of as political people, Dan, have been watching play out in the political spectrum over the years have really been mimicked in many ways by 
football where you have a lot of the sort of hardcore make America great again football fans whose kids in Ohio or Texas or Alabama, you know, play football. Of course, they're going to play football sort of saying, you know, who are these elites on the coast, these, you know, ivory tower academy types or these kind of, you know, effect um, media executives on both coasts telling us how to, you know, telling us that football is dangerous, telling us that the sport is not viable. Um, so a lot of the tensions, you know, have been have been in play for a while. I and mean, what's interesting now is that Trump has sort of gone after football in a weird way from the right. And for a while there, and that hasn't didn't really hold, but you had the anthem issue sort of became like a free speech issue. And you had people like Roger Goodell and a lot of NFL owners were sort of, I wouldn't say sympathetic characters, but I think a lot of the kind of quote unquote elites on both coasts were kind of thinking they were doing the right thing. And, um, you know, it's just a bunch of Trump voters in the middle of the country who are, are you know, are, are making a big to-do about it. Um, so anyway, I mean, there are a lot of debates that go on in the middle of football. And I think, you know, again, what the big, as you said, I mean, it ruined a bunch of Sundays because the beauty of football and the beauty of sports is that you can sort of look to it as a respite from a lot of the noise that um, infects so much of the rest of our public life. You know, the NFL owners as a group have been... It's interesting because they have been, in some cases, you know, we saw them, uh, you know, kneeling with players or, you know, showing some sort of support for the issues that Colin Kaepernick raised around police violence and systemic racism, um, you know, a few Sundays ago after Trump attacked the NFL. But as a group, they are, a good number of them gave over a million dollars to the Trump inauguration and other Trump-related causes. They're, you know, it is a different group than the NBA owners. and. Many of them have had money in their family for years. It's been the teams have been passed down. Do they not see what's going on in the culture, or are they just they seem to be missing what's happening in some ways? Yeah, I, I think. Well, see again, there's disagreement on what exactly is happening, but I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I would say this. I mean, th- this is not on the whole a a, a incredibly um, courageous or really that impressive group of people. I mean, you have a hodgepodge of sort of heirs to uh, shaky sort of, you know, family businesses, or not shaky businesses, but, you know, people who, you know, there's always a lot of controversy and a lot of drama within a lot of these sort of families who own, you know, the teams. Um, You have quite a few owners who have, you know, been in court quite a bit. You've had some who've had criminal past. You've had some who just don't strike you as terribly savvy people who kind of lucked into one of these 32 lottery ticket jobs, or not jobs, but positions that, that where you get to run a football team, which um, is the ultimate you know billionaire boys club. I mean, so much so that Donald Trump has been desperate to get into it for you know three or four decades, and uh, he couldn't do it. And as a consolation prize, he wound up in the Oval Office. So uh, <laughs> what does that tell you about the state of America right now? Um, but I, I think they get it, but I think mostly they're businessmen and mostly they're opportunists and mostly, you know, the profiles encourage you see whether it's, you know, Jerry Jones or Shad Khan, um, you know, kneeling with their players at the 50 yard line. I mean, they, they only go so far. I mean, I think largely that was sort of a PR play and, and they're all sort of trying to figure out how to, how to proceed going forward. But I don't know. I don't see any great sort of way through this for them. So you sort of raised there's two specific elements in sort of the quote unquote culture wars that Trump has jumped on his way to the NFL. The first one is you raised is, you know, these sort of effete 
you know, media executives and other people, you know, who aren't in the middle of the country who think that football's gotten soft, right? We, mm-hmm. if you breathe on a quarterback, we call a penalty. If you, ta- you know, we're suspending people for tackling the, the way people should tackle, right. you know. And, the, you know, it's interesting at that rally in Alabama that sort of started this whole thing. That was the first issue Trump raised. Right. And I'm curious what you think about what it says about politics in the NFL, that that is a point of division where it seems like we could agree on let's not mangle the brains of our children <laughs> right. um, and the people we watch on Sundays. Yet that is it's like that's become a tribal you know, partisan issue for some people. C- correct. I, I would argue, I mean, what's interesting is that this, I mean, I think the, the idea that football has been ruined by too many rules and the sort of regulation of what used to be a great, beautiful helmet to helmet hit, as Trump would say. <laughs> um, I just don't hear that a lot, you know, even from, you know, the football, high school football coach types in, you know, in Texas. I mean, but the, I mean, this is sort of a Trump issue and, and it, and it, it precedes Alabama. I mean, I remember, um, two years ago, I think it was two years. It was during the campaign. Uh, it was January of 2016. Uh, there was a really brutal playoff game between the Bengals and the Steelers that had so many personal fouls and cheap hits and injuries and bad fan behavior. It was the first round game because like, you know, it was a night game and it was just riveting to watch from like a professional wrestling standpoint. Cause you, I remember watching, I was like, okay, am I actually going to watch the end of Western civilization <laughs> with people in Cincinnati throwing things at players and players fighting and players running off the sidelines to fight with each other. And like, is, is this all going to like end on CBS with Phil Sims and, you know, Jim Nance announcing. Um, so it was like riveting that way. And then you had Phil Sims at the end saying that was a total disgrace. And then Roger Goodell basically saying the same thing. And he's, suspended a couple of players and um Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger who were the you know two of the better players for the Steelers missed the following week's game against Denver they lost probably because of that anyway it was it was just a real mess and then Trump I think the next day or maybe two days later at a campaign rally in Reno um said the NF that's the first time he really went after the NFL he said the NFL has gone soft and America has gone soft and that was a direct quote and I thought it was sort of almost a perfect distillation of his larger message, which is, okay, there's a political correctness that has ruined games like this. And, you know, in fact, you know, the lack of, you could argue the lack of, you know, order in a game like that is what, what sent a couple players to the hospital and so forth. Um, I, I don't sense that the league has lost many customers, many viewers, um, because they believe that, you know, just there's just too there's just too much softness in the games. I mean, I think a far bigger problem is I, I don't know if it's an elite issue or not, or is the fact that you know it is there's a serious moral question around what these people are are willfully doing to themselves and whether you know viewers, ticket buyers, owners, coaches um, are going to be complicit in it. But you're right. I mean, there there is sort of like I I, I think that the sort of Trump I, I think Trump's argument in so much as it's an argument is more a case of Trump trying to be sort of the fake tough guy, um, a guy who probably couldn't get, you know, probably couldn't survive two minutes on the field trying to, <laughs> trying to sort of cast aspersions on an actual game that he could never in a million years play um, by saying that, you know, it's just not as tough a guy as I am. Yeah. And I get it, it sort of goes to the 
America was so much better, right? You know, 30, 40 years ago when we were great, when, right. you know, people mangled each other's brains. Right. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Indochino. Indochino. I wish I were wearing an Indochino suit right now instead of what I am wearing, which is uh, pajama jeans. Pajama jeans. A uh, trash bag with holes in it. <laughs> <laughs> Formal wear. It was raining. <laughs> Indochino's making it easy to get a perfectly tailored suit at an incredible price. You can choose from hundreds of top quality fabrics and personalize your suit just the way you want it, whether it's for work, a wedding, or another special occasion. Indochino has suited up hundreds of thousands of men, and they're now the largest made-to-measure menswear brand in the world. You guys know how it works, right? Yeah, I remember. You visit the showroom? I have a joke. Okay. Instead of knowing how it works, we have a joke. It's it's something like unsuited hundreds of thousands of men. <laughs> You know, <laughs> leave it in. Leave it in. Something landed like that, hard. You know, the hard landing. That's the end of the joke. Pick your fabric. Beginning to come. Pick Beginning fabric, TK. Like leather. Choose your customizations. Choose your customizations. Submit your measurements. Place your order and just sit back and relax. That Indochino suit's coming to you soon. This week, our listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $379 at Indochino.com. You got to enter Crooked Convo at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. And of course, shipping is free. Tommy, do you notice that John has kind of a bit bit of a kind of um, soft tone tonight? Mm-hmm. Do I really? Mm-hmm. Hushed. I'm, I'm speaking very loudly. Thoughtful. It's a little understated. It's because you don't have the headphones on. That's why. Oh. That's why the whole thing feels off. No, you feel a little different. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going with the fake news. I think you are different. I think you're trying to pull the wool over my eyes. I'm, I'm talking just how I normally Indochino.com. Promo code CROOKEDCONVO. You know, the concussion thing is, uh, you know, probably more so than anything else. And we're going to talk about Colin Kaepernick and and all of that. But the concussion thing is a potentially existential threat to the game. You know, both, you know, it's both concussions people are having in the game. And then the more and more we learn about CTE, the brain disease that comes from repeated impact, whether it was, you know, just learning about um, Aaron Hernandez, uh, the Patriot who ended up in jail and and eventually killed himself and, you know, some of these other players who've had it. You know, I get the sense that the NFL finally, many years later, is beginning to grapple with this risk. But is there anything they can really do? Because it goes to the heart of the whole thing. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, they they would say, and I think with some legitimacy, that they, they have instituted a lot of rules. Um, they've done a lot of research. Um, you know, they have, they're, they're certainly more aware of it, more conscious of it. But the fact is they're also racing a clock and, and the clock is, well, they're, they're racing biology, which is that one players are just getting faster and bigger, um, for whatever reason. I mean, the game's getting more just physical and you can try to legislate rules in which they try to make it less so. But I mean, people are always going to get hurt in football and this season in particular has just been a brutal year for injuries. I mean, not just concussions, but I mean, people like Aaron Rodgers are missing big periods of time and uh, Odell Beckham and, you know, a bunch of other players. Um, So, I mean, you have that, but I mean, football will always be a dangerous sport, but I I think they do, but I still don't think, I mean, from, again, from a sort of a pure political and messaging standpoint, they have no idea how to talk about it. I mean, people do see the NFL as a league in many ways as a somewhat corrupt organization, but an elite brand 
uh, presiding over a game that people still absolutely love. And like so much sports and so much politics to some degree, it's a study in cognitive dissonance. I mean, I'll, I'll speak from personal experience. I mean, I'm a Patriots fan. Okay, you know this. Uh, I grew up up there. Um, and, you know, they make it hard. I mean, they make it easy in that they win a lot, but they make it hard in that, you know, they have a coach who is is not the most likable guy in the world. And then you have, you know, owners and, you know, the, the owner. There's just a lot. Of, I mean, the Trump thing, you know, bummed a lot of people out. Um and they, a lot of people think they cheat. And you mentioned Aaron Hernandez. I mean, there's always a lot of baggage around there. And also their fans, I hate to say it because I am one, but um, <laughs> they can be insufferable. I, I fully admit that. Um, unlike, say, Philadelphia Eagles fans, which I I'm actually, you're, a, you are, I'm actually a Washington sports fan, football fan. Really? Yeah, oh, which is, my dad great. grew up in Virginia and he put that burden on me. And like hmm. the, you're, the, the cognitive is exactly right. Like I have a team that I root for. Right whose owner seems to be one of the worst people around <laughs> and is quite young. So mm-hmm. he may outlive me as the owner of Washington. And <laughs> their name is so racist that I can't even say it out loud. Yet I still root for Wait, them. What, what is their name? I want to hear you say I, it. No, don't say it. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a trick. There's this whole new like politically correct you know game that people around here play because they're among fans of that team. And I have like a lot of good friends who are fans of that team and they won't say the name. And I'm like, oh, come on, just say the name. It's really hard to tweet about because you it say is, right? the Washington professional football team. And you're going to get right? And then you have like no characters left. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no, I, I think, but you're right. But it, it's the same kind of thing though. I mean, again, there's a, there's a big analogy to politics, which is that, um, you know, if you're born a Republican, if you're born a Democrat, I mean, a lot of people are going to work really, really hard in their own brains to not let that go. Right. I mean, you know, God knows the gymnastics a lot of people are doing to maintain their support for Donald Trump, um, even though, you know, you would think that he would do certain things in which, you know, they would not be supportive of. Um, It's the same in football. I mean, I, you know, I love the Patriots and, you know, I will stand by them like I would, you know, to some degree, members of my own family, despite the occasional um, homicidal tight end, right? (laughs) Um, um, But so, I mean, again, it's sports is one big leap of faith, which is a whole other conversation. But, um, you know, again, the larger moral leap of faith is that a lot of people are, you know, again, watching a game that we know um, might not be the healthiest use of of players times and and bodies i want to ask you about roger goodell because you know the point you make is that even if ratings are down a little bit this year the game it's still is still the national pastime yet the brand of the nfl itself has suffered mightily and to what extent is that the fault of roger goodell the man at the top um i think to some degree um he has over the last few years messed up a whole bunch of things. Um, you know, starting really with, I mean, you could, even before Ray Rice, I mean, he had this bounty gate case in New Orleans where he suspended and fined a whole bunch of players and coaches and executives for the Saints for running this bounty program. And, um, but then, you know, Paul Tagliabue, who was the predecessor to, um, to Roger Goodell sort of presided over an appeal thing in which he was found to, it was found to be a really, really shoddy investigation and he reversed a bunch of them and it became a mess. And, and you also had, you know, the first of what became many NFL markets that, that presented Roger Goodell for a huge period of time. I mean, New Orleans, um, you know, Roger Goodell will not be, you know, warmly received in New Orleans and Dallas, anywhere in New England. And, you know, then you sort of 
take St. Louis and Oakland and, um, you know, San Diego, all the teams they left. So, I mean, there, there are, you know, Baltimore too, with the Ray Rice thing. So he has messed up a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, I, as a New England partisan, I mean, I think the deflate gate thing was ridiculous. Um, there were a lot of gates on his watch. Yep. At the same time, you could argue that that's all part of the reality show. And, you know, the deflate gate case was the single biggest story of the off season, certainly, of, of like a couple of years ago, certainly around New England, it kept interest going. And the NFL is really the one sports league that for as short as the season is relative to, say, baseball or basketball, they have a real year-round appeal. And they've created these, again, these set pieces are like the draft, the NFL combine, the Hall of Fame voting, and all these little scandals um, that – are in their own ways riveting and they're ridiculous. I mean, it's funny because I'm, I'm writing a chapter now on the book in the book on the NFL draft. And a couple of years ago in Chicago, remember the Laramie Tensel case? Yeah, was this with the v- gas mask. Very, yeah. yeah, very hung, you know, well, um, highly touted, you know, offensive lineman from Ole Miss. He was supposed to go like number three. Uh, then on, as the draft started, someone puts out a tweet with a picture of him basically – it was like a gas mask kind of bong kind of thing. I never quite understood what he was doing, but it was not good. And the thing <laughs> just like took off. It was viral. It's all anyone was talking about at the draft. And, you know, more to the point, teams just like saw this and they were like, well, we're not drafting this guy. And you just sort of see this guy who is in line to make millions and millions of dollars as the third pick in the draft. One, losing, you know, tons of money with every time he slides. Um, and then... Uh, just losing, you know, not knowing where he's going to wind up and wondering if whatever caused this or whoever put this up is just ruining their career in real, t- real time. Uh, I guess he was taken at number 11 or 12 by Miami finally. But again, that was, um, you could say, a tragedy for Laramie Tunsil. You could say it's a cautionary tale about social media. I mean, you could say all kinds of highfalutin things about it. Uh, it was not the best night of his life, but <laughs> it was great. It was it was riveting. It's all anyone was talking about. And Roger Goodell's, you know, fuck up around this was the next morning he went on, I think, Mike and Mike and said, well, this is why the NFL is so great. It's like a reality show. I mean, that's not a direct quote, but something to that effect. And he got, I think, rightly um, pilloried for saying, you know, sort of overlooking the fact that, you know, this is a kid's career. Um, you know, a lot was lost. This might not be the way, um, yeah, this is maybe kind of a, not the most flattering snapshot into our world right now. Um, so I don't know. I mean, but this is a great example of the, exactly the kind of drama that always sounds, seems to, you know, find itself in the Goodell, um, you know, NFL. And, and I think, again, it keeps people interested and and it hasn't really hurt in the ratings, at least till recently. Despite Goodell calling that the reality show. One of the things that has been, you know, sort of uh, the M.O. of the NFL for a long time is sort of the suppression of identity of the players, right? And whether it, you know, as we used to call it the no fun league when they wouldn't let people do celebrations, you know, you point out ratings that might be down this year because there's only like four or five recognizable stars in the NFL and almost all of them except Tom Brady are out for the year. And is, you know, and what the question I have is, is, and this sort of leads into Trump's approach to the NFL is, right. is the NFL a conservative league? And I mean that small C conservative, no, not right wing conservative. It's, it's a great question. I mean, it, it is the most conservative kind of Republican sports league out there. And by that, I mean, it has always kind of followed a top down 
kind of quasi-military, um, you know, very warlike kind of infantry model, right? Where, um, you know, and where that's really play, where that really goes a step further is, I mean, that creates brotherhood. It creates, um, you know, the, the game. It's a true team game. So you have this tension between the real reliance and the real sort of necessary, like the, the need for cohesion and tolerance and diverse, you know, just tolerating different strengths and weaknesses, you know, for the good of the team. So that's very strong, but the league is run and these teams are run by these, you know, quite often very despotic coaches and general managers who, unlike the other major sports, can cut players on a whim. This, this is the only major sport that doesn't have guaranteed contracts in most cases. And that to me is, I mean, the large, you, you say no fun league. I mean, that's one little play on NFL. The other one is NFL is not for long, um, meaning the average career in football is three point, you know, two years, something like that. It varies by a few percentage points. I mean, like up and down, you know, by negligible amounts every year. But the fact is um, players, I mean, it is a very difficult sport to unionize, to keep together, um, largely because these players have very little control. I mean, owners can lock them out. Owners can cut them. Um, you know, they can, they, I guess there are various ways to legally collude. Um, and, and what's interesting is for as, you know, most of them are Republican, most of the owners are Republicans. Um, but they run a socialist system of, of profit sharing. Uh, so it's all pretty, pretty wild. But I do think that at the end of the day, you know, it's very, very hard for, for football players to act collectively because many of them are not in a secure roster position. They can be cut. Their career can be over just like that. You could argue, you know, Colin Kaepernick is one of the very few people I think you can point to now who has been willing to lose a job uh, for a larger principle. Um, you know, there aren't a lot of politicians willing to do it. Um, you know, you could argue that you know, has Jeff Flake or uh, I'm bringing this to politics, but have Jeff Flake and Bob Corker been willing to lose their jobs for the higher principle? No, they are speaking out while giving up their jobs. So, uh, again, I mean, and there aren't a lot of politicians or football players really willing to do that because they have a very finite and sort of whimsical um, relationship with the time they get to spend doing what they love to do. In the other sports leagues, right, particularly I look at the NBA, which is sort of the polar opposite of the NFL these days. Right. It's brands at an all-time high. Right. It, it seems to manage these culture war issues with uh, unity between the players, the coaches, and the owners that does not exist in the NFL to the same level. Right. Um, there's just – and but why is it that the players don't have more leverage? I understand why the third-string running back on right. the Giants doesn't have leverage, but – there aren't even enough people, you know, and this will get us a Colin Kaepernick, but there aren't even enough people talented enough to play NFL quarterback to fill all of the teams in the NFL. So there is leverage there. And is it a mistake in the NFL Players Union or I just don't, I don't really understand why the. Well, they don't have guaranteed the, contracts, basically. Yeah. Well, why, or why they can't, they have not made progress on this yeah. issue in any real way in the. You know, since the strike strike yeah. season of thirty I, years ago. Yeah, I mean, it is. It has been proven to be very. I mean, again, I think the sheer number of football players. I mean, there's like over two thousand football players. I mean, the NBA. I mean, what? There's a few hundred, right? I mean, just the yeah. rosters are well, fifteen times thirty. Okay. Uh, yeah. Someone else do that. I mean, it's just, it's a much smaller number, so easier to organize in that way. Um, I I do think that um, 
you know, another factor is that it's a much, I mean, you get paid 16 weeks out of the year, right? Um, you miss a game, you are getting a huge hit to your annual income. Um, so, I mean, it's just a very finite amount of, you know, games that you can get paid for in, in the course of your career. Um, but yeah, I mean, the union, it, it has, I, you know, I would, I hate to sort of put this all at the feet of the union, but the NFL has not had any, any real quote unquote successful strikes or work actions. I mean, the conventional wisdom is that the collective bargaining agreement that they struck in, in 2010 was, was very advantageous to the owners. I mean, their most famous strike, the NFL player's most famous strike in 1987. There's actually a great 30 for 30 about this. Yeah. Um, on the Washington football team that you root for. Just, but about how lame and how difficult it is to run a picket line, to run a strike if you're ahead of the NFL. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I do think that that they have been hampered that way. But I, I also think that if they want real power, they have shown this year that in numbers, they can re- make a real dent in the bottom line. They can make some real statements if they're willing to, um, yeah, I guess, have enough of them come together and make the statements they're making. Let's get to Colin Kaepernick because – you know, I'm sitting here in San Francisco. We've been watching the, you know, the Colin Kaepernick thing play out for a long time. Right. And I guess the question I have for you is, why is Colin Kaepernick not in the NFL right now? <laughs> um, it's a great question. I mean, I think he should be. I mean, based on the the combination of his, what, what I think his skill set probably still is and the shittiness of um, quarterbacks around the league. Um, I, I think it'd be a much more interesting test case and a much more different situation if he were Aaron Rodgers or if he were, you know, um, you know, Odell Beckham or, or someone like that. Well, I guess he wouldn't be injured, but someone, you know, yeah, you know, Cam Newton, someone like that. Um, but I, I think he hasn't, I, I think there are questions about, you know, how committed he is to football, but no, I mean, look, he is not, a top flight quarterback. He is at best a middling to sort of lower middling quarterback. Um, probably wouldn't start for most teams. And I, I think, you know, when people actually, when teams need a quarterback or they need a backup quarterback and they sit around and say, okay, is it worth the incredible amount of distraction? And, you know, distraction is this, the, it's a dirty word in politics and it's a dirty word in sports and especially in the sort of brotherhood of a clubhouse and so forth. But it particularly is so in football because that is anathema. I mean, when you are a distraction in football, you are putting yourself above the team. And again, football, I think, is the ultimate team game, which is one of the you know great beauties of, of the sport, frankly. Um, but I, I think that there's a real downside and a real risk to to signing Colin Kaepernick. Um and I think that that no one is convinced that, that no, first of all, the, like I said before, I mean, th- this is not a profiles encourage kind of group of people, largely. And we're talking, you know, we're talking a a collective of very cautious businessmen. Um, and you know, when you when you add the fact that most of them are probably you know politically pretty conservative and certainly not risk takers, um, you have. A, uh, a situation where Colin Kaepernick is is not going to have a job. So, I mean, he he's got an interesting lawsuit going on now for collusion, and and I don't, and I think one of the things I guess that's interesting about it is that he's naming, or he's he's mentioning, I guess Trump's involvement in all this has been an issue for him because he is making the case, or his lawyers are going to make the case that Donald Trump's 
you know, leaning on the league and attacking of, you know, these kind of free speech actions by people like him are costing him his livelihood. And by owners, you know, possibly responding to that, they are colluding against him and, and so forth, which gets to a whole other part of the conversation, which is that Donald Trump is, you know, is, he's he is taking a United States business, a very large and visible and successful United States business, and he is... I think willfully messing with their bottom line, um, and you can argue like, is that right? So, I mean, whole other it's certainly unprecedented. Uh, it really is unprecedented. I mean, I think people lose sight of the fact that, and and again, I'm not, I'm certainly not an apologist for the, the the business of the NFL. I mean, uh, on the contrary, but I, I do think it's a bizarre situation that the league finds itself in, and I think. There is, like I said before, I mean, there's sort of this does kind of play into the wannabe dynamic of of Trump's psyche, which is one. I mean, he wants to be an NFL owner and probably wants to be kind of seen as a real, you know, heavy hitting tough guy, um, and also kind of a real, <laughs> you know, ten billionaire or something. I mean, there there's a lot sort of there's a lot there, um, but it's just, I mean, what if what if you're going after General Electric every week? I don't know. I mean. It's uh, I mean, it's not a public company, but still, it's it is something. It, it is something that I continually have to remind myself is just not normal. Cricket Conversations is brought to you by Kind Bars. Ooh, new kind one. Bars. Have you ever tried a Kind Bar? Ta- like 5, John, thousand of them. John, <laughs> I'm mostly Kind Bar. <laughs> that was a rhetorical question. Oh. Uh, I eat so many it. Kind Bars. It's um, staggering. It would shock the conscience if you saw, if I, if I could see all the kind bars I've eaten all in one room, if it could fit in a room, if there's a room, room so large. John, what's, what else about them? They make delicious, <laughs> healthy snacks using whole ingredients that you can recognize and pronounce. If you're ready to try some tasty and healthy snacks, we've got a special deal for you. You can try 10 different full-size kind bars for free. Ooh, just pay shipping. When you sign up for the sample box, you'll also get to try Kind's Snack Club where you'll receive monthly snacks at a discount and get members-only bonuses. This I, free- I got a free sample box. I'm about to tell you what was in your free sample box. Oh, tell me about my free How sample box. How long did it take box. you to eat it? You know, 10 working- minutes, top. <laughs> <laughs> you get their fruit, nut, and chocolate bars, pressed fruit bars, dark chocolate, nuts, and sea salt. That's my mm. favorite. The roasted jalapeno almond bar, the pineapple banana kale spinach pressed fruit bar. That's Elijah's favorite. And even a sweet and spicy bar. For you to try. I want you guys to guess which two bars I've yet to consume. The jalapeno? The jalapeno one and the kale one. Mm-hmm. But I've eaten all the rest and many, many others. To try 10 different kind bars for free, go to kindsnacks.com slash crooked. I'm working my way up to emotionally try a kale granola bar. You know, I'm going to tell you about a false choice. It's a choice between your health and taste when it comes to snacking. Really? Yeah. That's why both award-winning chefs and nutritionists love and recommend kind bars. Visit kindsnacks.com slash crooked. I didn't know that. To get your free sample box. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Well, you know, it goes to the question of the bottom line, because, you know, we talked about whether it was the repeated 
uh, domestic violence problems that NFL players had had in the in the NFL, had, you know, by most accounts mishandled, right. or the concussion question, the ratings had stayed the same. Right. And, you know, there was a poll after, you know, there was the big back and forth with Trump and the NFL and the players kneeled mm-hmm. and it became just, you know, this political football, if right. you will. Um, I'm going to keep doing that. Go, go for it. Yeah. And, you know, there was a poll that came out that showed that Republican voters viewed the NFL less favorably than Democrats viewed Fox News. And hmm. does that, I mean, what is the level of panic when the NFL, because the, if you were to lose the, tr- you know, sort of the tr- quote unquote Trump voters, right. if the NFL were to lose that, that would seem to be a huge hit to the bottom line. Because even if that group of people is, you know, 35, 40% of the general right. electorate, I would have to imagine it is at least 50, if not more than 50% of the NFL fan base. Yeah. I mean, they're worried about it. I think they should be worried about it. I don't, I do think though that, um, I, I, first of all, I don't think the numbers translate that cleanly. I mean, I think it's not unlike a, um, you know, a poll respondent saying, I hate the job Congress is doing, but I'm voting for my congressman. Right. right. Um, you know, a Philadelphia Eagles fan, you know, who voted for Trump might say, I hate, uh, I hate the NFL. I hate what they're doing. And I hate that Roger Goodell isn't making these players stand, but, uh, you know, look how great the art, the Eagles are doing. And did you see Carson Wentz the other night? I mean, it, it is sort of, it does become a kind of parochial, interest, you know, at the end of the day. And, 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 you know, if you like Carson Wentz and you like the Eagles, that's probably going to make you tune in, um, to see them beat the Washington football team a couple nights ago. Uh, now do you still root for them by the way? You still do, even though you're in San Francisco. I mean, I guess you're going to be a Niners fan. No, but I I do think, look, I mean, it's an issue. It's, it is clearly, I mean, there are a million ways to sort of look at how the numbers slice and dice. And I don't pretend to know which ones to pay attention to, but they're clearly worried um, and I think they hope that, th- that this all blows over and that Trump will just move on to something else because, I mean, look, I mean, one thing people can o- often overlook is that this, the anthem controversy was fairly contained. I mean, Kaepernick was mostly a fairly isolated case last year. Uh, it bled into this year partly because he didn't get a job. Um, but there was like what, like maybe – four or five players kneeling. Yeah, like yeah, there just weren't a lot um, the first couple of weeks. Then Trump weighs in and all of a sudden there are 300. So, I mean, this is another example of Trump just sort of hurling himself into the middle of a very, very delicate cultural issue uh, with race as a, uh, with race as a, as a subtext and just rubbing everyone and everything raw um, until, you know, you don't know what to do to your, do with yourself and you're just sick of the whole thing. Do you think the NFL could have handled it better in response to Trump? Yeah, I I think I can't think of what they could have done to be honest with you. I mean, I I think um <laughs> I mean there there's a real damned if you do damned if you don't call it. I mean, Joe Lockhart who, you know, you know, is Bill Clinton's Friend former press secretary. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's a democratic operative. Um, you know, a, a minion of this town for many, many years. He is now their head of corporate um, public affairs, basically. And he, he essentially, one little known fact, he stepped in for a guy named Paul Hicks, who yep. is um, the father of Hope Hicks, who is Donald Trump's communications director, the the Dan Pfeiffer of Donald Trump's world, um, which is a very interesting synergy here. Or not synergy, but just set of coincidences here. And so Paul is now at Glover Park Group uh, where Lockhart used to be. So, um, but Joe, I, I've talked to him a fair amount. I mean, it, it is, un, I mean, I don't know what they could have done differently when you consider the fact that owners are divided, players are divided, 
Um, coaches are divided, but mostly just want you know them to their players to focus on Sunday and the task at hand. And um, look, it's a mess. I mean, politics is a mess, and culture is a mess. And I guess, again, part of the beauty of football and, and other sports that we like is that you can just sort of build a bubble around it. And uh, largely because of Donald Trump, I mean, that bubble was was pierced. And, um, you know, now we have to sort of play all these out, play these battles out um, on a very, very inelegant and, and, you know, in a field that um, I don't think is necessarily lending itself to, to thoughtful discussion of, of the issues. I mean, I think the owners are – Trying to you know make some efforts to to work in the communities and and be active in the causes that are important to players, but again, it's not a monolithic thing. It's just there's a lot going on here, and I mean, I think like so many debates in you know in highly charged environments like this, especially with Trump involved, it's hard to think of people getting smarter in the middle of all this. Yeah, you know, I was I've put my I try to put myself in Joe's shoes as well to think about how to handle it. Right. And I don't know that there's a good answer to this. It feels more like the NFL suffered in this, not for anything they did in the heat of the moment, right. but in the lack of trust that they had built up with the public in the media running into it, in the failure to build a partnership with the players, right. you know, because it is, you know, I think about the NFL and it was like right around the same time, Adam Silver, the, I was thinking about the NBA, right. Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA just put out an edict that said NBA players are going to stand for the national anthem. Right. And then they just did. And it was not controversial and it wasn't a problem. It didn't feel like it was a bunch of right. rich, old white guys telling their largely African-American uh, athletes right. what to do, you know. So I think that, you know, that's where the NFL has. It's it's like this has been the culmination of years of problems. And just I want to get back to, to Kaepernick for a sec. Right. Do you, do you think there's any chance he plays in the NFL again? Yeah, I think there's a chance. I don't think there's a – I mean, I, I think right now, I mean, certainly as this season goes, you know, keeps going on. I mean, it's harder to envision. Um, yeah, I mean, he's young. He's, he's like under 30, right? I mean, he's still yeah. – I mean, I don't know what kind of shape he's in or how badly he wants to play. But, I mean, sounds like he wants to play. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think he could. I think it would take a pretty, you know – her, not heroic. That's too big a word. I mean, I think it would take a somewhat courageous move by an owner and a coach. Um, you know, and I think right now, based on my knowledge of the league and the teams, there's probably about you know a fairly small handful of teams that could take a chance like that. I mean, one of them would be the Seahawks. Um, he's already played for the 49ers. Um, you know, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to think of a few others, but uh, but yeah, I, I think he could. But I, I also, you know. I also think he very well couldn't. How's that for a great answer? Uh, just <laughs> one good. thing, one point I want to make. I mean, I think you're right about the NBA, but I also think what the NBA didn't have and hasn't had is Colin Kaepernick. I mean, what happens if, you know, a middling sort of player, let's take, uh, I don't know, J.R. Smith, okay, for the for the Cavaliers. Say he just decides to kneel or he decides to stay in the locker room or something and he sort of makes himself more of a cause celeb. And, and by the way, a lot of the NBA players have – had gestures. I mean, they have, there's been, you know, a lot of fists raised. There's been, there's been protests and so forth. But, you know, for the anthem per se, I mean, it'd be curious to know what Adam Silver would actually do if it became a disciplinary situation. Yeah, because they actually confronted this many years ago huh. um, with Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf, who right. refused, wouldn't come out of the locker room for the national anthem mm -hmm. for a while and ended up being out of the league despite being one of the 
all-time greatest college basketball players. Yeah, um, he was awesome. For uh, he played with Shaq right at LSU. Yeah, it was Chris yeah, Jackson. All-time leading freshman he scorer. was my. I, I remember just loved that guy. Um, yeah, what's actually what's interesting. I mean, Paul Tagliabue, who you know again was Roger Goodell's predecessor, uh, had this phrase that he used to say, which is "all's well that ends." instead of all's well that ends well, meaning, you know, if you can just like end something and just not make it a big thing, there is great value to be applied to it. And, um, you know, Tagliabue was criticized for a lot of things, I mean, beginning with concussions and sort of his alleged neglect of the issue for many, many years. But one thing he hasn't, he didn't have was a lot of, you know, deflate gates or Adrian Peterson gates or Ray Rice gates. I mean, he was able to contain things before they became big cause celeb um, emotional issues and you know maybe there's something to be said for it before we finish up here i want to pivot to your uh your new england patriots yes um you can say that you name. have done a lot of reporting on tom brady yes uh, you wrote a, prof- a piece of for, about him for the new york times magazine yeah. last year i guess uh last it was two years ago yeah it was like really ago. the first nfl piece of journalism I've, I've ever done if you'd call it journalism it was i was a bit <laughs> of a fanboy in that piece i will admittedly say but no, t- uh, Tom's or Brady's a big part of the book. And do you, I don't want you to, you know, spill the beans in your book, but yeah. do you have a sense of the, you know, let's, let's thinking about the Patriots, the Patriots have weirdly become this proxy for how people feel about Trump, I right? Know. Whether, it's, I mean, if you're from New England, I know, you it's care about the Patriots. Awful. Uh, Donald Trump lost all six New England states, except for that. That northerly CD in Maine, by the way. Let me just p- yeah. point that out. And so, you know, if your you're from New England, audience, right? Like our crooked media family here of, yeah. you know, Tommy and yeah. Favreau are huge Patriots fans. Yes, but if you're not from, like, I was watching the Super Bowl. I have no, I'm not a Patriots hater. Right. Prior to this, I have, I, you know, I kind of like Belichick and Brady right. just by being really good at their jobs. Right. Um, but so I went into that Super Bowl without just sort of rooting for a good game. But as the game went on. You re- I really was sort of found myself rooting against the Patriots yeah. because of Trump. And, you know, I'm if, in your reporting, do you, are there any regrets in, you know, from Brady or Belichick or even Bob Kraft about <laughs> how they've sort of become part of the political conversation here because yeah. they're, su- they're support of Trump? Yeah, I, I think there are regrets. I mean, I think they would probably say that. You know, hey, we're we're not bringing this stuff up. I mean, Trump. You know, Trump mentions even to this day. I mean, Bob Kraft and Tom Brady and his great friends. I mean, th- this. Um, th- they don't. They would like many people that Trump sort of drags into his narrative. They would. They would just as soon not be part of these narratives. Um, I, I will say that as a again as someone who has apologized for the Patriots over many 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 years and scandals and alleged cheating things and. Um, you know, you know, misanthropic behavior and so forth. Um, the Trump thing was by far the thing I, I, people were asking me about more. It's like, you know, how can you root for a team that Richard Spencer, I mean, by the way, Richard Spencer, by the way, said that the, before the Super Bowl said that the Patriots are America's team or white America's team. And it just, I mean, I mean, a lot of like (laughs) that kind of shit was like sort of thrown at us. And I do say us. So my insight is that that Brady is a genuinely, genuinely, genuinely apolitical person. He is a very one-dimensional kind of football guy. Um, His whole family from the Bay Area, you know, pretty liberal Democrats. Uh, His wife, uh, extremely anti-Trump, which I think is one of the reasons he blew off the White House. 
Um, you know, the team has had, you know, a fair number of protesters and kneelers. I mean, they had about you know, about a dozen players not go to the White House. Uh, Belichick surprised me. I mean, Belichick, um, <laughs> he, I mean, never talks about politics, but he was supposedly a closet lefty for many years. He he went to Wesleyan. He uh, did a lot of work with, with sort of prisoners, with Jim Brown. I mean, he, he was very quietly apparently involved in some very uh, progressive sounding causes that you don't usually see football coaches uh, involved with. And then all of a sudden on the eve of the election, um, Trump reads a letter from Belichick in New Hampshire, you know, maybe about a week away from the election, telling how great he is. And then it turns out that, that Belichick has known Trump for years and goes to Mar-a-Lago and all that stuff. So, I mean, there's a sort of rich, famous guy club that they're all in that I, you just don't even know about. Um, and, you know, Kraft is a Democrat. He gives to both parties. I don't know. Look, I, I don't, I wish um, that you could watch the Pats and I could root for the Pats and uh, without Trump ever, be, you know, coming up in the conversation. But he has sort of taken them as like the winners that are a proxy for his own, you know, commitment to winning and and, and so forth. Um, I mean, I don't think that that these are any great deep political thinkers and so forth. And um, I don't know. Look, I their family. I root for them. Um, I <laughs> wish. I wish. I wish certain things were different. Do you? You know, the, so the Patriots won the Super Bowl mm-hmm. as they often do, and they went to the White House. Yes, the Warriors won the NBA championship. They are not going to the White House. Yes, they were um, uninvited. Yeah, I. I think uh, <laughs> they probably. I, I get the sense that they were not going there anyway. Um, the North Carolina Tar Heels won the NCAA championship. And they are not going. Right. I would be surprised if any NBA team goes back to the White House right. while Trump is president. I can't, it seems hard to imagine that happening. Yeah. Do you think the winner of the Super Bowl in February will go? I think it's a it's a great question. I mean, I, I think, I mean, this year. Presuming it's not the Patriots who will obviously go. Well, I mean, look, I mean, <laughs> I, I will say that the Patriots, um, first of all, this is this is a little bit near and dear to my heart because as the New York Times, we, we got into this kind of pissing match with, I guess, the Patriots and with the White House because we ran a photo of um, th- that showed the Patriots two years ago visiting Obama and the Patriots now or this year visiting Trump. And there was like twice as many players and coaches in the photo with Obama then were with Trump, and it looked like it was just a much greater turnout for Obama. Uh, but then the Patriots complained, and then the White House complained that, in fact, this time, I mean, the, the, the shot, it just didn't have, like, the coaches and the staff of the team who were in the – anyway, it was a big to-do. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there were probably about a dozen Patriots who didn't go. Um, you know, Brady didn't go, although I think he just, you know, wanted to save his marriage. Um, uh <laughs> I, I think, um, again, I mean, it, f- football is the one tricky sport. I mean, I imagine if the, if, you know, either the Astros or the Dodgers will probably go. There'll probably be a few few not. But, I mean, who knows, right? I mean, I think baseball is probably a better test case because, um, you know, we just haven't seen it happen before. I mean, you can argue that, I mean, I, I mean Trump, there's a whole race component to this thing too. But, no, I mean, I, I will be very curious to see what happens. I think that... A team, though, an NFL team, like say, like the say the Philadelphia Eagles win the Super Bowl this year. Jeff Lurie, who is their owner, uh, big Democrat. Um, he is. I mean, he doesn't talk about it very much, but he's you know he's a Democrat. Um, say you know that a bunch of players say you know we're not going to the White House, and the Eagles as a team decide not to go to the White House. Um, 
you know, if they don't, I mean, there's going to be a serious backlash on them with a lot of their fans in in eastern Pennsylvania, right? I mean, you would imagine. I mean, it's a pretty – it would be a pretty gutsy thing to do. So I, I don't think that's the no-brainer than the Golden State Warriors would be. I mean, the combination of the sport being progressive and the coach of the Warriors being very progressive, the area they, they play in being very progressive. I mean, I think um, – I just think it. I just think it could be much more complicated. So I don't know. Right, but even happen. even like the, it's just the difference between the NBA and the NFL. I mean, part of it is also it's fifteen players. Right. So exactly. You know, they have if six guys say they don't want to go, right. you can get the whole team. But exactly, Cleveland is, you know, obviously Cleveland itself is a democratic city. Right. But their fan base is, you know, extends well beyond the city Correct. to a lot of people who voted for Trump. Right. And I would be shocked if Cleveland wins the championship. If right. The team way, even though their owner is, I believe, a Trump. Supporter. Yeah, Dan, go. I don't, I don't know about him. No, I mean LeBron been very vocal against Trump. Um, you know, I, I don't. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, I, I think, <laughs> I mean, it'd be really interesting if Trump actually extended the invitation to a team like that. You know, do you have like Trump standing with like Zaza Pakulia, like uh, in the Rose Garden, and, and like no one else, <laughs> no one else, or no one else, and then you it would know, just be Zaza Pakulia and Nikki, and Nikki, yes, ex- exactly, and you know <laughs> Steve Kerr wouldn't go, and I don't know, it, it'd be kind of a bunch of you know they they sort of fill out the room they, with a bunch of White House staffers or something, put yeah. on some, yeah. so no, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think look, I mean, these worlds, for better or for worse, have collided, and um, to be perfectly self interested here for a second, um, it is uh, good for my book. Well, before we finish up here, do you know when your book's coming out? Yeah. I mean, I'm reporting this through this NFL season, and it's supposed to come out in time for next season. So August or September of 2018. Well, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure, it, This is uh, – you and I have had many conversations over the year, and this is – Yeah. Talking about football is a particularly fun way of doing yeah. it. Um, now we should make people listen to – I mean, you know, you might as well just like inflict it on like God knows how many other people want to listen. But when your book comes out, uh, we will want to have you – back on one of our podcasts so that uh, it would be great. You can, you can actually sell the thing. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I, that would be fun. So anyway, thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, Mark. All right, man. Thank you for listening. Next on Crooked Conversations, Tommy Vitor talks with author Jade Mayer from The New Yorker about dark money and the billionaires who are funding politicians. There used to be limits on how much individuals could spend to push their political candidates. Supporters were limited in you know, the amount of money they could reach into their pocketbooks and spend. And what happened with Citizens United was spending got redefined as speech and speech is unlimited in this country. And once that happened, it meant basically the brakes were off. Tune in. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University... Your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.